Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Hope, all of our campuses, all of you watching online, all of us here today. I hope you're feeling good. Before I dive in, um, men's conference, hey, if you love Jesus and you want to go to heaven, guys, you got to sign up. <laughs> sign up today. You're going to pay another $10, and that's not good stewardship. So, hey, uh, I hope you'll join us. It's going to be a great night, May 6th, uh, 7 o'clock. Um, make, make sure you go and sign up, invite a friend, bring somebody with you. Today, starting a brand new series called Fractured Faith, and uh, this is going to be a two-week series, and I want to start off by giving you an important definition of what fractured faith really is. It is this, faith that is fractured. Okay, no, that's not the real definition. Thought it'd be funny. Let me give you the real definition that I made up to give us some context to understand where we're going with this. This is questioning and wrestling with previously held Christian beliefs, Christian leadership disappointments, and Christian community disillusionment. Now there's a lot more probably that I, I could word it differently, but this is a mouthful right here. Some of us, even right now as I speak, you're questioning some of the ways in which you grew up. Many college students go away to college and professors tell them things that are contrary to what maybe they were raised with spiritually in the context of church and they begin to question, Mark, what do they believe? Is the Bible really God's word? Is it really inspired? Is it accurate? Or is it infallible, fallible? All these things begin to tackle uh, our minds and our previously held beliefs, and we begin to wrestle. Some of you wrestled your growing up years in the way in which you were taught and the way in which you went to church, I did that. I wrestled some theological things that I was raised with that I no longer adhere to, that I changed and deconstructed and reconstructed. And so some of us are here today because you have reconstructed, you have had fractured faith, you have wrestled with some things, spiritually speaking, or maybe you've been disappointed by leadership. Christian leader, a pastor, a priest, whoever, and they have disappointed you in some way by their failure or their hurt uh, in, in some way, their, you know, whatever way in which they led has brought you to a place where you are wrestling with what do you believe about God because of somebody else. Maybe it was disillusionment in the Christian community. Somebody in the church hurt you. Somebody, uh, said something about you or didn't show up at a pivotal time in your walk with the Lord or, or in a tragedy or in a hurt, and you have been reeling ever since. There, there are so many ways that we could describe this. Maybe you're just walking through a desert time in your life, and spiritually speaking, as we sing, what an incredible worship set we had today, and Terry encouraging us that God's faithful even when we're not so faithful. And we're going, come on, extend your hands, extend your faith. And, and, and there's times in which you're just going, I want to, but you don't know what I've done this week. Or, or you don't know the way I feel. I, I've been struggling with feeling God. You, you feel like you're in a spiritual desert. It's not that so much that you're questioning whether you believe in God there's definitely something that's happened in your life, uh, a disappointment, a tragedy, uh, a big life-changing thing, a divorce, uh, 
a loss in a relationship, and you're in a desert. And it's easy for those of us who may not be walking in a current desert to look at you and say, come on, worship, you dead people. (laughs) When all the while in your heart, you're not dead, you're just in a desert and you're wondering, what's going on? And the last thing you need is for somebody to make you feel less than. And I'm guilty of that. I think a lot of us are guilty of that, and especially me as a a leader, because I want you to be in the center of God's will for your life, and I want you to engage in God with God in worship, but yet at the same time, that zeal can be less compassionate than it needs to be for those of us who are wrestling with something going on in our lives. The the, the common uh, word for this in the Christian community right now is deconstruction of faith. Uh, so I've, I'm very familiar with that term. It's, it's been going on for a while. If you're, if you're on social media at all and you, you, you see posts about former believers who have now uh, deconstructed their faith and they no longer believe or they totally have changed about this or that. And this, in the, in the Christian community, as a pastor, I read about this, I see this all the time. It's, it's commonly referred to as deconstruction. So over the next two weeks, here's what I want to do. Um, Today, I want to talk about the person of deconstruction. In other words, somebody's faith is fractured, wrestling, um, disappointment, disillusionment. And then next week, we're going to talk about the people of reconstruction. And our text is going to be one of my favorite uh, parables, sets of parables that Jesus ever told. And it's hard to pick a favorite because it's Jesus, right? And it's everything he said was awesome. But I would say if I had to pick, these are probably three of my favorite parables that he ever told. And it's the reason why hope exists today. These parables are the reason why I started this church 22 years ago. So when we talk about this, I'm going to read a portion, and then I'll explain context, and then we'll, we'll finish the whole thing. And, and I want you to stay with me, because you may be here today, and you're like, John, I'm good. I'm, I, don't, I don't need this. Come on, give me some encouragement. I'm going to next week. <laughs> okay? But I really do think this is going to help you, because you may be dealing with a college student in your household right now that has come back from college and has made the statement to you, I no longer believe in God, mom and dad. And what do you do with that? Or I don't know what I believe, and I'm not sure, and I'm not interested in going back to church right now. So this affects all of us, and how we respond to this matters, which I'll talk about next week. But this week, the person of deconstruction. We're going to go to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start with verse 1, and we'll go through the stories that Jesus tells. Here we go. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, before we move on to the stories that Jesus tells, I think it's important to understand the context here. When it says notorious sinners, 
sinful people, what is he talking or who are they talking about? Well, I'll tell you who they're not talking about. They're not talking about Roman pagans. They're not talking about people who worship other gods. They're not talking about people who, were, or who are Gentiles. They're talking about the context of the Jewish community. At that time, the family of God. And within the family of God were people who perhaps, like I just described, their faith has been fractured. They're walking through the dark night of the soul. They're walking through questions and wrestling with questions. And, and those questions have made them turn away in which Jesus then tells these stories. But we're not talking about Roman pagans. We're not talking about people outside of the family of God. We're talking about people inside the family of God who were raised in Jewish community, who memorized a lot of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament, and know better. But somewhere in their lives, they went another direction because of wrestling with their faith. So that's the context. So you understand when, when, when the religious leaders talk about these notorious sinners and these sinful people, they are not talking about Roman people, Gentiles, people far from God. They are talking about people who know and are in the family of God, but have for some reason walked away. Now, having said that, not everybody who is in the process of deconstructing their faith is a sinner, okay? So I wanna make that clear. As we read these stories, there is this, um, the ending of, of each story is like the sinner has come home. I understand the context of what you may be walking through. It doesn't mean you're a sinner. It doesn't mean you are far from God. It just means you're wrestling. Now, some of you have walked away. Some of us have walked away and come back, and some of us are still out wandering or whatever. But just because we're using this scripture, I'm not suggesting that everyone who struggles or has a question is a notorious sinner. So, having said that, that's the context. Now, let's go to the stories, chapter 15, verse 3 of Luke. Here's the first story. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, just an interesting note here that Jesus is always going to side on the person who wanders. Jesus is always going to chase after the people who desperately need his compassion other than the people who believe they deserve it. And that was the religious leaders. And if you're sitting here today thinking, you don't need this message, I'm gonna talk about you next week. <laughs> because you might be in the camp of the religious leaders and that is not a good camp to camp in. Okay? Jesus always goes after those who need compassion. Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And the context here 
is, is one of God's sheep gets lost. And maybe that describes you. Maybe you were raised in church and you went to Sunday school and maybe not every week, but you were a once a monther or twice a monther, maybe Eastern Christmas. But there is some sort of faith, but somewhere down the line, a hurt, college, whatever, got you distracted and you have wandered away. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you evil necessarily. It just you've wandered away from church. You've wandered away from God. You have wandered away from the way you were raised or the way that you used to believe. That's the context of the lost sheep. And if you're the lost sheep today, know this, that Jesus is looking for you. I don't believe that you're here in this room or watching online or at another campus. I don't believe you're here by accident. I don't think you just wandered in here on this particular weekend just because you're here. I think the Lord, I know the Lord is looking for you. And he loves you. Second story. Let's go on in the verse. I think it's verse eight. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call on her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels even when one sinner repents. Now the context of this story is one of God's children gets misplaced. The first story, they wander away. The second story, they're misplaced. And maybe that would describe you in that you feel like for whatever reason, the way that you were raised, maybe the harsh, the overdoing religion, and it made you walk away or it displaced you. Or maybe you got hurt in a church. You got judged, you got labeled, whatever the case is, and, and you've been mis, you feel like you've been misplaced, disappointed, and disillusioned. If that's you today, the father turns, up, turns the house upside down. You ever lost something? Love, you ever lost your keys? Let me give you a hint. Your spouse took them. <laughs> that's my go-to. If I lose anything, what'd you do? Melissa, what'd you do with my keys? Some, some of us turn the house upside down, looking for keys, looking for a $100 bill, looking, you know, whatever. Let me, just, let me just tell you something. If you've been displaced or misplaced today, for whatever reason, God is turning, up, turning the house upside down, looking for you. And again, you're not here by accident. He loves you. You may not have liked the style of our worship, but he loves you anyway. And you're here because he is looking for you. The last story is different. Let's pick this story up. Luke chapter 15. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in wild living. These days, it's called college. About the time, 
I'm just being serious. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. See, there's this understanding in faith of disconnect this way with God and this way with others. And this, this, this young man understood that I have been disconnected this way and I've been disconnected this way. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. Great story. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast so this son of mine, for this son of mine who was dead is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. That'd be a great place to cut it off right there. And let's just go on to the next point. But the story's not over. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Oh, your brother's back, he was told, and, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Great story. Jesus was the master storyteller. And the context of this story is rebellion. Somebody just decides, I'm going to do it my way, and I don't care who it hurts. And many of us have done that. And many of us perhaps have kids that are doing that right now. And it hurts. And the, and the interesting thing about these three stories, two of them, God runs to, looks, looks for, turns the house upside down to look for it, and then one of them, he waits for them to come back. And next week, we're gonna talk about how do you discern between going and waiting, between saying and being silent, and being just ready for them. Interesting in the story, but that's not this week. That's next week. So an interesting note about these stories and about deconstructed or fractured faith, none of this is new. This is not new to God. God is not in 2022 going, oh, what in the world has happened? Jesus, what are we gonna do? That's not slang. Jesus is sitting next to him, okay? So 
He's not, he's not caught off guard. Deconstruction, fractured faith is nothing new to the Father. This has been going on for, well, since the beginning. So what do we do with this? In, in her book, uh, Fractured Faith, a lady by the name of Lena Abujamra wrote a book actually called Fractured Faith. And in this book, she give us the, gives us the phases of deconstruction. This is, I think, going to be helpful for those of us who are walking through it right now ourselves, or perhaps you are dealing with somebody in your family or friendship that is walking through this deconstruction. I think it's helpful, these phases. So here's, here's what she writes, deconstruction phases. The first is disappointment. And again, I've talked about most of this, but I'm just going to rehearse it. Hurt, anger, fear, sadness, abandonment, confusion. This is a place where you realize you're growing up and things are not always easy, spiritually speaking. There are good questions, solid questions that as you perhaps are being asked by a high school teacher or a college professor, maybe even by a friend, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen? Your faith is growing, and, and so the belief in some of these things that some of your parents taught you, if they taught you about the Easter Bunny or somebody else, I won't mention any more names, but if they taught you that, hey, they're coming around the corner or the whatever, and then you find out later when you grow up that that's not true, what else is not true? Does it make sense? And so there's this disappointment that begins to arise, hurt, anger, fear, sadness, abandonment, confusion, and I, those were trivial things, but what I'm saying is there, this disappointment begins to set in, and that disappointment leads to doubt. And that doubt is anxiety, uncertainty, disillusionment, loneliness, lost vulnerability. Again, th- a lot of times this is not with an attitude of, I hate you, God. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's, it's deep hurt and loss over the way in which you once lived or believed and now you are wrestling with that and what do I do with this and you feel alone, isolated and it's, it's beginning to bring up doubts in your mind about the character of God or even if there is a God. If scripture is really real, if Jesus actually rose from the dead, was this a fairy tale, was this Disney or is this really something that happened? And that doubt begins to lead to the last is deconstruction. And that's where you begin to dismantle the fractured, uh, broken faith, the betrayal, the reorder. You begin to reorder things. You reassemble things. It's, It's like a mechanic. My dad, who could, so smart in this area, could take a, an engine, a car engine, a transmission, car engine, and, and it could be in pieces in the garage and he could put it all back together. An amazing mind for this. Until, his, until he passed away, he was so, so smart when it came to these things, to reassemble. A lot of us, we are reassembling what we believe or not. Because these This deconstruction leads to two outcomes. It's either disbelief or unbelief where you decide, I don't believe anymore. And that's when you come home from school and you say, Mom and Dad, I don't want to go to church this Easter. I don't want to go back to church this summer. I don't believe in God. 
Now, it's not that they did a lot of research, necessarily. It's a feeling. And, and you've got to understand, these feelings are real. So how we respond to this as parents, how we respond to this as the church, listen, matters. Because our heart is another outcome, and that other outcome is a reconstruction of faith. The other outcome is, hey, we begin to put this thing back together, and we may not take that part, we may change this part around, but we're putting back this relationship that has been disconnected. And again, I'm not saying because of sin necessarily. It could be just, I'm questioning, and I don't know. Hey, Jesus said, count the cost. Jesus is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your research. Do it, but do the research if you struggle in this area. And, 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 and furthermore, our heart is a reconstruction of faith. And as the church, as, as a pastor, and maybe I'm, I'm your pastor, but there's a lot of times we haven't gotten this right. I haven't gotten this right. There's a lot of times I don't know what to say. I, there's, there are times in which I don't know if I should go look for you or if I should stay home and wait. Should I turn the house upside down? Badgering you and texting you? Hey, Jesus loves you today. Or should I just let you, does this make sense? And some of us wrestle with these things. We'll talk about that next week. But as a pastor and as a church, and I can't speak for any other church, but maybe you've never heard the words from another believer that hurt you or another church that hurt you. They've never looked you in the eyes and said, hey, look at me and grabbed your cheeks and just said, look at me in the eyes. I'm sorry for what I did to you. I'm sorry for the way I treated you. And maybe you've never heard that before. And I know I can't make it right for somebody else, but I just say to you, I'm sorry that, that I've done some things or said some things or made you feel less than in cert, at certain times. All the, all meaning well, meaning well, I want, to, I want you to be in the center of God's will, but at the same time, you may be wrestling and and I make you feel less than. I, I look at you in a condescending way or speak in a condescending way. And, and let me just say, we miss it, and I've missed it sometimes. And I'm sorry. If you're the person wrestling with your, your faith or disillusionment or disappointment of some kind, those things are real, and you need that time and space to say, hey, let me breathe for a second. And I want you to. If you have questions, if you have, if, you have, if you have doubts or if you're confused or if you're hurt, maybe you're, you're here and you're even done. I am so done with this thing. I have two words for you. Don't stop. Don't stop. There's a story in the Old Testament, Jacob. He's, Jacob's had a hard life. He, he's wrestled with his relationship with God and his identity for his whole life. And finally, it actually, there's this story. It's an actual story that says Jacob wrestled with God. I mean, like in a wrestling match. And wouldn't let God go. I mean, grabbed him. God hit him in his hip and dislocated his hip and 
Jacob walked with a limp ever since, but he says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Guys, I'm just telling you, if you're here today and you are wrestling with God, don't stop. Don't stop because of something I've said or some, another church has said because somebody was mean, judgmental, condescending. If you're a young person today and you're, you're just struggling with, my mom and dad make me go to church and make me come to youth group, but I don't really want to. I don't, if you're struggling with those things today, hey, let me, they're, they're, they just mean well. They're not, not every parent is perfect. But whoever you are and whatever's going on in your life, don't stop. James chapter four says that if you'll draw near to God or close to God, he will draw near to you. Don't stop. Don't stop if you've been hurt. Don't stop if you've been disappointed or disillusioned. Don't stop if you have questions or are confused because I may, I may let you down, but God loves you and he is looking for you or he's waiting on the porch and the minute he sees you, guys, look at me. The minute he sees you, some of you remember your parents waiting on the porch. And it wasn't like this story. You know what I'm saying? They're waiting on the porch saying, come here. <laughs> I had those moments. And I was a good kid. My parents were crazy. <laughs> but he's waiting on the porch. And he, the minute... The minute he sees you, he is running. Not with a judgmental finger, but with arms wide open to say, hey, I have missed you. We're going to have a party. And so many times the church has gotten this wrong. Guys, hope, let's get this right. Let's embrace, let's welcome those wrestling. And if you're deconstructing, God, we, we want to be a part of the reconstruction. I may not have all the answers. I may not say everything right. But you're the reason we started Hope. Yesterday, one of our worship team went to a place of, to, get a, to get a drink, and the person waiting on them said, I, I recognize you. You're the girl that sings. At, at hope. I just visited for the first time in my life. It was my first time in church. And I don't know what I believe about God, but I'm going back because I had a good time. Holy cow. That is why I started this church. I didn't start it for a bunch of religious people to come and have a hoedown. <laughs> I'm just being flat on with you. I started it because I want you to know that there is a God, there is a Father, there is a Shepherd, there is somebody who's looking for you and waiting for you. And if you're here today, whoever you are, know that he loves you. And you've not gone too far. You may be eating with the pigs right now. But that's okay. Come home. Come home. Lord, we're so... So many times we're, we're not just great representatives of you and, and I've been guilty of that and I think the church sometimes is really guilty of that. But at the same time, you, you still call us to, to be a part of the reconciliation, the reconstruction. So whoever 
is here today or watching online or at Prosper McKinney or West, and they have been hit right between the eyes today by you, I hope it's not in a, in, a, in a condemning, like, hey, you need to get right. I hope it's, we love you, and God's got a plan. And he's waiting or running, one of the two. He's chasing, and he's welcoming. And so I pray for every person who feels fractured today, for whatever reason, that they would sense your love for them your grace that the party is just getting started for everyone who's found. In Jesus' name I pray.